And on the heels of that, let me say the Lord be with you. It's good to see you. Special uh, greeting to my mom and dad. Always a joy when they're in the room. I always feel... uh, uh, It's pretty incredible to get to preach uh, with the man who I grew up preaching. And uh, so much of who I am is because of you two right there, so... Wow, I feel a little emotional. They're, uh, <clears throat> they're in town because my nephew got married yesterday, so we're having a fun weekend of uh, festivities together, so quite wonderful. <clears throat> so we are, all of us, on a journey. We said last week that a journey has a destination, and this, everyone, is our destination, that we are heading to a wedding that you and I are the bride of the bridegroom Jesus. That is our destiny. We are destined to be brought into the very family of the Holy Trinity as the bride of Christ, all of us together. Set in a new heavens and in a new earth. That's where we are headed. And it's unimaginably beautiful and good. And the journey there, the way that we're getting there, the steps that we're taking toward that end is that God is using us as portals or windows through which that reality is moving through us now so that that future beauty has potential to exist now with every step that we take, that we exude the very scent of the place to which we're going, that the trail that we leave behind is made up of the stuff to where we're headed. The kingdom of God is future and now, now and not yet. And the way that we go toward the end is that we bring the end into the now. And we said last week that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that calls us and guides us on that journey. It's a journey prayer toward that end. Because the theme of our life really is this, on earth as it is in heaven. Now as it will be. Your kingdom come now on earth as it is in God's realm where God's way has its way. So we're taking the next five or six weeks, we'll see how it plays out, to slowly walk through the Lord's Prayer, listen to it phrase by phrase, and understand it as a guide for our journey, a prayer for our journey, moving toward the new heavens and the new earth, the bride of Christ, in route to our beautiful destiny. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as we begin to look at it from the Scripture. So it's not only study that it comes out of our hearts together. We'll use sin and sins in the middle. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
I think this journey is characterized by the three cardinal virtues of the church, faith, hope, and love. Like this, listen, our hope is the beauty to which we're headed. By faith, we believe that beauty can be translated into the now, and it is love that is the currency by which we take every step. The first word of our Lord's prayer is our. I'm gonna teach you some sign language that I'm learning word by word because I don't know sign language typically. It's not native. So if my signs are awkward, may it be awkward. But so it is. Our. Our. Let's don't rush past the very first word of the Lord's Prayer. It is a journey that we must take together. Our Father. Father, the revolution that Jesus introduces that the consuming, flaming fire of God over Sinai can be addressed as Father, as a parent who cares for us. There is so much to unpack in this one revolutionary statement. I'm only gonna bring out one idea. It's in the context of the Lord's prayer itself. We find the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and again in Luke 11, uh, the beginning of Luke 11. In both of those contact texts, after the Lord's Prayer has been taught or given to the disciples, we get an insight into how Jesus sees the character of fathers. Well, let me expand it out to parents. Listen, this is Luke 11, beginning at verse 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will, will be opened. Is there anyone among you who if your child asks for a fish will be given a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg will be given a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, in Luke, the Holy Spirit, in Matthew, give what is good to those who ask him? Of the many things that we could say when Jesus uses the term our Father, he characterizes a father, a parent, as someone who has good for their children. And we instinctively, if you have had children or if you are the product of a parent, which I'm assuming we all are, (laughs) even if we haven't had this experience in our own story, we know this, that this is how it is supposed to be. Mom and dad have the best for the kids, want to give what is good. Do not give evil in return for good. That is the Father in heaven to whom we pray. He has good for us. He has good for you. And so many of us translate our troubles as if God has forgotten us or if God actually has ill will toward us, as if God is some judge If God is the zinger of heaven looking for the next opportunity to produce character to us by sending us some kind of problem. Certainly he allows troubles along the way, but do you know that the heart of God is filled with goodness for you? And if that that is true, then our journey is characterized by hope. The Father who is with us has good in store for us and we can trust his heart especially when things are hard. 
especially when things are hard. Our Father, our Father has good in store for us, his children. Who art in heaven. Heaven, the sign for heaven. Heaven. Something, something like that. Heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. And what I don't want us to think today is heaven as meaning that God is somehow far away and removed from this stuff of earth. When we declare our Father who art in heaven, heaven, interestingly, has three meanings. If you read through the Bible, particularly the New Testament, we see the word heaven. Three ideas, here they are. First is the literal idea of heaven as sky or space. So the heavens, the same word, uh, can refer to the sky or the space above us. This is why we tend to look up when we say the word heaven, because it's rooted in, in this, this notion of the sky. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Or in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were staring up into or toward heaven as Jesus ascends into the sky. So heaven has a skyward notion, a literal sense of that. Number two, though, Heaven has the idea of the locale where God's throne is, the seat of kingdom rule and power. Like in our American context, we might say Washington, D.C. The place where the ruling power sits. And when I say place, I don't know if we know how to describe where God is in terms of a dimension or a realm, this this where his throne is, whatever that means, this is short term for heaven. The place where God's throne is. Revelation 4, chapter 2. And I saw in heaven God's throne. Where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. In heaven. Third idea, though, is this idea that the rule of God, more abstract now, not so much a place, but wherever that rule is expanding out and taking hold, can be called Heaven, uh, synonymous with the word kingdom, which is also a place word, but, but it means more than a place. It stands in, uh, we, we could use the word metonymy. It's an English term for when one word stands for something else. Heaven stands for the rule of God. For example, in Matthew 13, there are the parables of the kingdom of heaven. These are not about any place. It's the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. Or is like a treasure, or is like a pearl in a, in a field, or all these things. The way of God, where his rule takes root, this is heaven. It's, it's sort of like when we say, in our own context, we might say, uh, the White House has issued an edict, or the White House is, is in, enacting new uh, prohibitions against such and such. I mean, the White House doesn't talk. Uh, we, we understand that the location White House is representing the authority of the presidential office. In the same way, heaven represents the authority and power of God who sits on his throne. All of this I am trying to say is that when we say our Father who art in heaven, we are declaring not our Father who's a long way off somewhere, but our Father who is in charge, who is ruling, who is God over a kingdom that is coming present here now. It's, it's, it's a word that exudes authority and power. Matthew likes it. It's used 70 times in Matthew. 
Father in heaven 14 times through the book of Matthew and only once in the Gospel of Mark. So it's unique to Matthew's language. He likes this idea of Father in heaven. In fact, you'll, you compare uh, kingdom of heaven in Matthew, kingdom of God in Luke, there's so many parallels where it's the same idea. Same idea. Kingdom of God. I like to define kingdom of this way, where God's way has its way. So for the journey that we're on, our Father, it's a collective journey, or our Father who loves us and has good for us. And the good news is he has power to execute that goodness. He is the Lord. He is in charge. This world, though it feels like a runaway train out of control, there is a God of heaven and earth who's watching over history and moving it toward ends he has in mind. Not like a puppet master running everything, but a master, a master God who can take all of the evil and the wrong and move it toward ends ultimately that he has in mind for the good of his cosmos. And this is reason for us to have great confidence that God who is in charge means that when we get stuck on the journey, when we get stuck on the journey, he is never stuck on earth with us. From in heaven, from authority, he is always there with power to get us unstuck. I've been working up in Washington at our little place up there on a mushy road that's full of mud and I was digging a trench to try to dry it up in anticipation of one day trying to drive a U-Haul truck over this road to a storage shed that we have about 100 yards off the road. And, um, and I was in boots, and I was in mud up to my knees, sloshing through mud, splashing on my face. Man, I felt like a man. <laughs> it was just, I felt like a pioneer. But I kept imagining the U-Haul truck stuck in the mud, and this image has stayed with me. That the journey that you and I are going to take, we will get stuck in the mud. It's what it's like to be humans. And there's so many mud puddles and so many sloshy parts of the road we got to travel. God will never be stuck in the mud with us. What help would he be then? But he is always on solid rock beside the road with a winch. W-I-N-C-H. Last night, I, I saved myself, and I'm gonna just tell you, the embarrassment of, you see on your outline there, I said the uh, mud and the wincher, I think I said there. I spelled it W-E-N-C-H last night, and I was thinking, doesn't quite look right. <laughs> the mud and the winch. The mud and the winch, the, the rope to pull us from our stuck place. That is what we can hear when we say, our Father, who art in heaven powerful, with authority, in charge, able to unstuck us, unstick us from our stuckness. <laughs> Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Interesting, Hallowed, the word in Greek, comes from the word holy. Only time it's ever used with God as the direct object. Only time is the Lord's Prayer. It's always used, God making us holy. At its heart, it means to set us apart. Set us uh, apart for sacred use. But when used of God, it has the idea of God being one and only, unique, set apart to be worshipped. And it's so important that, 
that this phrase, hallowed be your name, name is so connected with the essence of personhood. God, your person, your name, set apart, unique, one and only. It's a way to remind us at the beginning of our journey prayer that God is God and we aren't. That God is always God and we never will be. Even with our glorious destiny to be the bride of Christ, we never become God. We are always and forever creature. And why this is so critical to to put in place is because the ordering of God here and us under him is the essential GPS guide for staying on the road. Idolatry is the primary heart sin of humankind. To place anything above God Anything that we love, anything that's good, where, where it gains ascendancy over God in our lives, it begins to radiate fumes that are toxic. And we breathe them in and it kills us. And so the very beginning of the prayer, Jesus prays in a way that keeps keeps the most important things straight. Remember the, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Here we see the GPS for the people of Israel long ago. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not that God is insecure. Not that God is jealous of other rival gods. He simply is saying, let me tell you what is true. When I am God and you are creature, beloved by me, with all my goodness pouring out on you, life is as it's meant to be and it is good. But the moment we try to trade places in the spirit of Adam who considered, I might be like God if I eat of the fruit, everything goes wrong. So the journey is set for us with the beginning sentence of the Lord's Prayer. Our, we take the journey Together, we need each other. Our Father, God has good in store for you for this journey all along the way, even when it's rough, even when you hit the mud puddles. He has good in store. Look for it, ask for it, hope for it. And know that he is not impotent to give and bring that goodness about even through trouble and problem and evil because he is in heaven on the throne with kingdom authority that is coming forward by faith now into the present. And we move forward with him and for him because he is our God, our Lord. We worship him. We surrender our lives to him. He is worth everything. He is worth our praise. He is worth our obedience. He is worth our submission and our surrender. He is worth giving our whole lives for him. He is so wonderfully, beautifully great. And so that framework sets us on a journey moving toward the marriage feast in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's do the, let's, you want to do it with me, first line? You've been watching me do these motions. Let's do them together, not as a silly exercise, but to embody the prayer each week. What we'll do is we'll keep adding signs. And so we're going we're gonna to not only say the prayer, spiritually pray the prayer, we're going to feel the prayer. Because the journey that we're all on is a journey through time and space and sweat and rock and tree and wind and stuff. And so with our hands, we say, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you will open this prayer to us in a beautiful and deep way that we might pray it, not as rote prayer as you told us not to pray, but that we might find in it the treasures you meant for us to find, to give us hope to where we're going, to engender faith in us that where we're going can be lived and experienced to some degree in the now. And may we love you and love each other as the currency of this journey. Amen. What I want to say to us every week is that every step that we take when we leave this building and we go into the, the course of our normal lives, that every moment is an opportunity for heaven, for the future reality to come sweep right through you into the encounter, the person you're talking to, the work that you're doing. We're about this mission every day. Every, every day, this is what we're about. And I just always want us to be praying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm available for you, King of Heaven, Father of my heart, to live through me for the good of neighbor and the good of world wherever, wherever I go next, today, tomorrow, this week. This is a prayer that prays that out through a little song. It goes like this. On earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven today we pray will you find a way to use us today we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is Today we pray, will you find a way to use us today? We pray, your kingdom come. We're going to let the music just play a little bit. And let's not just sing this song. Let's just take a moment. Offer ourselves to our Father in heaven to pour his life through us this week. Pay attention to anything that comes into your mind right now. It might be a nudge from, from Jesus' spirit, something he might call you into this week. Just be sensitive. Don't fake anything, but just listen. Listen.
Here, your children, we are offering ourselves to you the best we know how. We admit our frailties, we admit our weaknesses, we admit our fears. No matter, you are our Father. You live in us. You delight in working through weakness. You delight in calling into being what is not. You delight in flipping the order of things. And each of us in this room, we are the perfect candidate to be a window through which heaven pours into this broken world this week. So we say yes. We say one more time. On earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven today 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 we pray will you find a way today we pray your kingdom How many of you like a surprise? <laughs> Only one person in this whole room. <laughs> Raise the hand. Well, I should, I, should, I, should, I should calibrate that. Like, what do you mean by surprise, right? But the kind where when you're least expecting it, God shows up. How you anybody like that? <laughs> that lies before us this week if we walk with open eyes. Are you good? Last time, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's go to the bridge and then home. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Amen.